0: Well, good morning, everyone. My name is J.B. Hickson with Not By Works Ministries, proclaiming the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message from my studio beneath the sky nestled in the tall timbers of Colorado. Thank you so much for joining us. It is Thursday, June fifteenth, 2023, and I am really excited to have Uh, Mondo Gonzalez with us today. Really needs no introduction. Uh, He has really quickly become a a good friend and confidant of mine, someone I lean on for theological uh, repartee from time to time, and uh, just a uh, a great man of God. He's from Prophecy Watchers. You can go to prophecywatchers.com, but I am quite sure that most of our audience is very familiar with uh, the outstanding work done at Uh, Prophecy Watchers. I'll introduce uh, Mondo here in just a moment. A couple of uh, quick announcements. Uh, Monday, we had a fantastic podcast with my uh, technology guru, Shane, on AI embodiment and the threat to humanity. I encourage you to go check that one out from Monday. Uh, Tuesday, we did Prophecy Night up in Denver, like we usually do. Uh, Fantastic discussion and presentation there on uh, just uh, more about AI, more about uh, mind control, more about some of the devil's Uh, tools that he is using to bring in the full-spectrum planetary control grid. Uh, Wednesday, yesterday, we had our weekly world events update with Randy, and that's already exploding in terms of views. As usual, I appreciate Randy's insights and comments as we just take a look at news items, and then uh, give some commentary and feedback on them and try to run them through the grid of Scripture. And then tomorrow, we'll close out the week. I'll have John Lawler back by popular demand. Uh, 32 years he spent with Steel on Steel and uh, just a brilliant mind, and we're going to be uh, looking forward to that discussion. But today, our topic at hand is the Antichrist and the End Times Jewish Rebellion. And uh, I've been having several discussions uh, recently uh, with Mondo by email or in person about Second Thessalonians chapter 2 uh, should be a passage that's quite familiar to prophecy uh, aficionados. Um, it is a key passage for end times prophecy, but it's one that has engendered uh, some interesting discussions in terms of uh, one particular word that is used there in 2 uh, Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, and uh let's see right there in verse eight, I think it is. I uh, can't find it, but we'll get to it here in just a minute. But I want to read the text, and then I'm going to bring Mondo on and uh, we're just going to let you listen in on a conversation between two guys that love the Lord, love His word and and love to discuss it and and try to figure out the application for our day. So Paul, of course is writing Second Thessalonians during his second missionary journey. It's one of his earliest epistles. And uh, he had written previously in his first letter to them about uh, the rapture. He had introduced the mystery of the rapture there in 1 Thessalonians 4, and then he comes back to them here in this letter and he refers back to his previous teaching because uh, the Thessalonian believers had begun to be led astray by some false teaching that caused them to question what Paul had taught. And listen to what he says. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him... So obviously that's the rapture, the coming of the Lord, and the gathering together to Him. We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ, and some manuscripts say the day of the Lord, same idea, as though the day of the Lord had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the two things happen, and here's, here's really the crux of the matter, that day will not come, "...unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition." He's talking about the Antichrist there. Verse 4, "...who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple." of God, showing himself that he is God. So, that word apostasia there in verse 3, translated the falling away in the New King James, which is what I'm reading from, is really what we're going to be talking about uh, with Mondo. But let me finish the context here. Verse 5 says, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, Only he who now restrains will do so till he's taken out of the way. I believe that's a reference to the work of the Holy Spirit in and through the church as a restraining influence on the world at large. But when the rapture happens and the church is gone, that restraint is removed. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, With all power, signs, and lying wonders. I've talked a lot about that in my Spirit of the Antichrist books. With all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Well, I wish we had time to just really unpack every. Section of this passage, Mondo verse by verse, but we'll we'll kind of give uh, at least a high level summary. But we want to focus in on what does Paul mean by the the concept of a falling away. So Mondo, thanks so much for taking your valuable time and being with us. Welcome to the program.
1: It's great to be here, JB. I love the conversations for sure.
0: Well, awesome. So uh, there are essentially three, probably more, but three you know primary understand ways to understand uh, that that reference. Uh, to the falling away, that's where Paul says that you you can't be in the day of the Lord, which is the, the tribulation period, the coming day of judgment. You can't be in that day uh, unless these things ha- had already happened. So don't worry. Um, You know these haven't happened, but what does he mean by the falling away? So, so give us kind of a quick overview. You've really become an expert on this passage, and you have interacted with the different views. The word "falling away" is one word in Greek. It's apostasia. What is he talking about there?
1: Yeah, I think the, the the three main views are one view is that it refers to a physical departure, so that the 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 day of the Lord can't arrive until the physical departure or the rapture happens first. Uh, some people take that view. Uh, another view is that it's a spiritual rebellion of the church. So the day of the Lord cannot arrive or cannot be present is probably the best translation. Uh, you can't be in the day of the Lord until the apostasy of the church has happened first. And then the man, of, you know, and the man of sin be revealed. And so the, those are the two main views that people generally Embrace and and one of the other correlations that you have, which goes way back in church history, and even in some of the early writings of the English translations. Uh, if you look at their notes, you know the Geneva Study Bible and others, um, in, in that they will equate or correlate First Timothy four one. In the latter days, many will depart from the faith and give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. So they're saying, oh well, we we know that's true in First Timothy four one that there's going to be this departing of the faith. Oh, that also must be what 2 Thessalonians 2 is referring to, that in the last days, before the day of the Lord can be present, the first thing that needs to happen is an apostasy of the church. So that's those are the two main views that you have out there. And then uh, what what I, I've i been thinking about this for several years, and uh, found, I've come to try to present at least what I think is a third possible view, and that is, it's not talking about an apostasy of the church in this passage. We know that's going to be true because of 1 Timothy four one. so I'm not denying that. But the apostasy spoken of here is a Jewish apostasy specifically, and not in reference to the church at all. So the day of the Lord cannot begin unless the Jewish apostasy comes first and the man of sin being revealed, and he goes on.
0: Yeah. So um, again, the, the the technical or I guess lexical meaning of apostasia is departure. It most often contextually refers to a spiritual departure away from the faith, uh, but you know there are other places where, depending on the context, it might mean a spatial or or proximal uh, departure, physically from point A to point B, and so that's why as you just uh, so well summarized the first two primary views, uh, many people, in especially more recently, have really begun promoting the idea that Paul is talking here about the rapture itself uh, and that you can't be in the day of the Lord unless that had happened. And so since you're still here, it must not have happened is kind of the way that argument goes. Uh, but I certainly think there's a lot of, uh, you know, historical and obviously contextual as well, uh, evidence for a spiritual departure, a spiritual falling away. Uh, But tell us what uh, some of the problems are with the spiritual departure of the church view. As you said, clearly the Bible teaches the closer we get to the return of the Lord in the last part of the last days, we're going to begin to see a, a greater departure from the faith. But uh I know why I struggle with that being what he's talking about in 2 Thessalonians 2 uh, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on sort of what what you see as problems with that view before we dive further into the view of the Jewish rebellion.
1: Yeah, I think that uh, one of the the greatest arguments is is one actually made by Dr. Andy Woods where you know he takes the physical departure view of apostasia and uh, he wrote an article in our magazine a few years ago And I remember reading the article and there was there was um, the power of what he was saying, especially in one thing that he brought up. I thought, man, this is extremely well said. And there hasn't been there hasn't been a response to it. Um, And he as it relates to believing that apostasia is in reference to the apostasy of the church. And so one of the things that he brought up, he says, how how do you have the, the the definite article is there? how do you have the apostasy of the church happen? He said, there's, there's no way, there's no singular group or leadership group. We're not Catholic. So, you know, if the Pope went apostate or maybe the the magisterium of of cardinals went apostate, maybe that could be true, but we're, we're, if it's the true church, which we would think according to that view that Paul is referring to, uh, we're we're not going to phrase it under Catholic thinking. So, you know andy's asking hey how do you how, how do you have a the apostasy of the church because and i was like that's so true because what we've seen according to first timothy 4 1 is we we see a, a general apostasy beginning in the mid 1800s uh, approaching into the seminaries and then into the denominations in the early 1900s and then here we are with a general apostasy denominations have fallen and it's taken 150 years especially with the with the uh, advent of, of evolutionary thinking in, in 1859. So I, I think he's right on. And so um, that argument alone is is enough to, for me to squash the idea that an apostasy of the church is the apostasy at a singular moment in time. Yeah, Because one of the things he said was, you have the article governing the apostasy and the Antichrist uh, appearing at a singular moment in time. And I'm like, he, he's definitely go. right. Now, it led him to accept then the physical departure view for apostasy, which again, if that was all that – under that framework, he wins the argument. Absolutely. It's clear. One of the things that that, that I began to think about was, well, what's the context of Second Thessalonians 2? Immediately in the next two verses – he's talking about the antichrist appearing in the temple and so it it's very jewish it's yes. very
0: jewish yeah and before we go there because i want because that's a perfect segue into kind of the alternative option here which i think really makes a lot of sense when i first uh, when i first read it and, and read your article but let's just you know uh, kind of put a bit of ribbon on what we were just saying mm-hmm. so essentially the argument against spiritual apostasy of the church as being a sign that you know the anti the, the day of the lord has come is that general apostasy is very difficult to pin down and the text definitely has the definite article indicating he's thinking here of some particular specific moment of a of a departure spiritually and so for that reason uh, you and I and Andy and others that hold similar views reject the spiritual apostasy of the church understanding of what Paul is saying here. Again, the text is Second uh, Thessalonians uh, chapter 2. That day will not come, and, and as Mondo said, a better translation is that day cannot be here or you cannot be in that day unless the falling away comes first and if the falling away was a general spiritual last days apostasy spoken of by Paul in in uh, 1 Timothy 4 well that that's kind of hard to pin down and then grammatically why would he make it a definite article why would he say the falling away rather than just you know unless you know some falling away starts to happen kind of a thing so i i think we we definitely have strong reason to reject that view, which, by the way, is the traditional view. Most commentaries and stuff, if you look on it, will, as you said, correlate Second 2 Thess 2-3 with 1 Timothy 4-1 and sort of lump them all into this last day's apostasy. As you said, Andy goes to the physical departure view, which is the view that I've leaned toward through the years. But there's another option. As you said, context makes it clear this is very much... About a Jewish audience, a Jewish culture. I mean, it's very early in the in the Church Age, maybe less than twenty years into the establishment of the Church. So the Church very much still is predominantly believing Jews. So uh, pick up where you left off there. Sorry to interrupt you, but I wanted to just kind of lay the 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 set the table a little bit for this uh, Jewish rebellion.
1: Yeah, no, you know that. that no, I appreciate your, the clarity there because uh, we we can't emphasize it enough. the The, the weight that is against the ch- apostasy of the church view in this passage, um, it's very strong. And so, what we're looking for then is is some sort of singular. Uh, if we take the apostasy view of the spiritual departure, um, you know, Lee Brainerd has written on this in his book uh, Apostasia. Um, you know, he he takes that view, and but. Um, so then what are we looking for? Why would we assume then it's an apostasy of the church? And I think, again, it's 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 valid in the sense of trying to, to read. But we're reading 1 Timothy 4.1 into it, which that's not good hermeneutics. So let's leave it in a context. The context is Jews. Immediately he's talking about the temple. He's talking about the Antichrist being there. He's talking about the, the nature of his declaration of God. There's a religious connotation to it. So my, my thinking on it is... And this is super important because people get a little bit—they uh, get a little bit defensive sometimes, which which is fine. And and, the, and so, what my, what apostasy, the apostasy, what could take place by the Jews, which would um, be defined as an apostasy. Now that that's that's—I guess that would be something for us to flesh out here because let let me let me say it this way the, the definition of an apostasy a spiritual departure um if i if i um let's say uh in the old testament the, the main thing that is loyalty you see solomon was not loyal like his father david cuz he you know he he many wives and got you know Uh, Worshipped other gods or at least made offerings to other gods. His heart was turned away. I just read this recently. He was not loyal. The key key, there was loyalty. And so if if you were a worshiper of God and you just, the true biblical God, and as we know, Yahweh. But you come to a point in your faith where you just simply ignore him. You know, you haven't embraced another deity yet, but you ignore him. Is that really I mean is that apostasy in the in the grandest sense? I would say well, not I mean yeah, no, I mean maybe <laughs> if you're out your actions, maybe if you're out, you know, doing a lot of things, but if you're not if you haven't changed your loyalty from the true god to another god, that to me is the rejection of the true god and an embracing of another god. That's apostasy. But if you simply just ignore and reject, but you haven't embraced something else, that 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 you'll understand what I mean here. Because, um,
0: in other words, you're differentiating between a general moral degradation and decline, and general sleepy Christians, and and uh, you know just Christians that are getting away from the Lord. But th- th- we're not speaking uh, here. But but that doesn't constitute a wholesale rejection of one of the Lord God Almighty and a, an acceptance of some other yes. God, namely the Antichrist, which is where you're going with this. That's yeah. where,
1: exactly where I'm going, because what, what somebody, they had read my article, and they're like, well, I, I, if the Jews are um, embracing the Antichrist, they're embracing their own religion, and so that's not an apostasy. So they're, they're embracing their own religion. It's like, okay, okay, think about what you're saying for a minute, <laughs> and so the key verse in all this is John 5, 43, where Jesus says, I have come in my Father's name, and you did not receive me. Another will come in his own name, and him you will receive. There's a prophecy there, and I think if we were just to ask, without anybody reading my article, in general, because people tend to be closed, uh, if you just said, what is that referring to? And I think most prophecy teachers by default would say, oh, well, that's clearly a reference most likely to the Antichrist, even though there might be many people that they receive. The Jews have never officially, in the sense of there was a couple instances, uh, uh, embraced somebody as a, as a, as a messiah in, in general, especially in the last days. Uh, certainly Bar Kokhba was, by some, Rabbi Akiva declared him to be uh, the messiah in 135, 132 AD with the Bar Kokhba Revolt. But that wasn't an official thing. You might you had one rabbi, and obviously that didn't work very well. Uh, and later they skewered him for it. <laughs> but it wasn't a wholesale embracing. So there's never been a time. Uh, Jesus said this: You rejected me, but there's going to come a time where you will have rejected me, but you are going to embrace somebody else. See, see, that's that's the pin. That's that brings it together. You have a rejection, and you have an embracing or a reception yeah, the Jews have not done that yet.
0: No, they haven't. And, uh, you know, to those who say, you know,, uh, embracing the Antichrist is not embracing another God or another religion. I just I don't see how they can get there. I mean, the text is is very clear. And I have a chapter in my second volume of Spirit of the Antichrist that's all about the, uh, you know, fall the uh, departure from Christianity and the decline of Christianity. But the Antichrist religion is going to be, uh, a wholesale different religion. It's a pluralistic religion. It's it's a it's suggesting that everyone on earth can, regardless of your you know whether you're Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, you can come under his banner and he will lead you to the promised land. That's that's the Antichrist religion. So, um, you know, and, and furthermore, and I don't want to be stealing your your thunder here, getting ahead of ourselves, but Jesus' teaching in the Olivet discourse seems to be targeted toward don't be deceived in this last day. Don't be led astray in these last days. Not to mention going back to Second Thess two, he sort of ends that section with a don't fall prey to this strong delusion, this particular deception that's that's headed, you know, your way. So yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of merit in uh in seeing the Jewish nature of this, that essentially what Mondo is saying here is that you know, what Paul is warning against is he's saying the day of the Lord will come in conjunction with the national rebellion of Israel in, you know, away from Yahweh and to accepting the false Christ who is working at the behest of Satan himself. Is that a good summary of what you're saying?
1: That's a perfect summary. And, you know, if we, if we, I was thinking about this as well, that what's the definition? If we were to give a, a, a just a general definition or maybe a specific definition, if we were to one-line it, what is the definition or the fruit of a false religion? And it's one that doesn't save. I mean, could we all agree? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Any yeah. we know that there's only one faith that saves, that's through Jesus Christ alone. Everything else is false. So even though the Jews who have a history of uh, you know Moses. We know that the in the book of Hebrews, you know, he's writing that Jesus is superior to Moses, one sacrifice, one offering. And so one of the things I'm developing, because I'm gonna I, I gotta put this into a book because is developing the idea that if the, the person that says, Well, they're gonna be re embracing Judaism, so what? <laughs> Judaism is a false religion. It does not save. In fact, in Hebrews 10.29, he, he says, Man, if they were judged, got the death penalty in the Old Testament by a mouth of two or three witnesses, how much more under the New Covenant that they're going to uh, put underfoot? They're going to stomp on the blood of the New Covenant, Jesus' blood. So if they, they, they've rejected Jesus, we know that, the first century, there, there's, Jesus said it. But if they come around and do a fresh rejection, repudiation of what Jesus accomplished on the cross— and they embrace this guy, which is promoting even a Mosaic covenantal sacrificial system. Now they are embracing a Messiah figure, and they are once again putting underfoot the blood of Jesus. How much more of an apostasy do you have? I mean, now they've rejected, and they're embracing a guy that's promoting this. It's false religion. They're not embracing a biblical system.
0: Yeah, and I think the key here is to differentiate between individual apostasy and national apostasy, because in every generation, even going back to Abraham, there are individual Jews who believe unto righteousness and are saved, and there are those individuals who do not. So, you know, the Day of Atonement in Israel did not guarantee that every Jew was going to end up in heaven. Everyone from Adam forward always has to be saved the same way. And today, only those who trust in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died and rose again for their sins, can have forgiveness of sins and be made right with a holy God and and enter heaven. So, uh, always there are individual examples of individual people that, you know, might reject God and and you know, embrace a false religion, but the the apostasy here, the apostasia that he's talking about, you know, your argument is that this is a wholesale uh, national rejection, and Jesus warns against that because in the culmination of of, of of the age, when the tribulation starts and we have that final seven years transition into the kingdom age, the long-awaited promised kingdom, the Jewish people as a whole are going to. Uh, the nation as a whole is going to reject Christ, but then the leaders and the national Israel that are believing will accept him. So you're going to have this Clear bifurcation once for all. You know, as you said, they've done this at various times throughout history, but this is kind of the Fisher cut bait moment for God's chosen nation. And uh, only those who believe, because Paul says in Romans 10, you know, uh, how can they call on him in whom they have not believed? Uh, so they have to first individually believe the gospel, and then nationally their leaders will cry out blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's what Jesus was kind of saying in in Matthew 23 in the lead up to the Olivet Discourse. He says to the first century Jewish leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not see me again until you cry, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Shortly after he said that, they cried, crucify him, crucify him. And then uh, second time around, even though there was a remnant in the first century who did believe and was saved they're in heaven today— the second time around, it'll kind of be a reversal. You'll still have a national rejection uh, and, and a group rejection of many, many. That's why Jesus is warning them, be not deceived. But the leaders will will, will get it the next time, and they'll eventually accept him. Um, I want to mention, too, you mentioned uh, Lee Brainerd's book, which you wrote the forward to, uh, and this is available at prophecywatchers.com, by the way. Is that right? Okay, it's called Apostasia uh, in Second Thessalonians 2, 3. Excellent uh, work, very well researched. And uh, this is going to get into some of the stuff we're talking about today. So I encourage folks to go out to prophecywatchers.com and pick up uh, uh, this book, Apostasy. By the way, while you're there, pick up some of my stuff too. So I think Absolutely. they sell our books and DVDs, <laughs> but uh, there's a shameless plug. But but anyway, kind of kind of continue your argument here and just explain why you think that Paul here is referencing in Second Thess to a an end times Jewish rebellion.
1: So, I think what um, what often is the thinking, it seeps in, uh, is that when the Jews uh, re embrace, like, okay, right now we know that the, the Israeli government is, uh, the Israeli society is probably, it's getting lower, but it's 70% secular. Uh, some of them are open to a cultural idea of a temple, but you know, there's a 30% strong of the, of, it's getting more because of population. Of the of the religious me, uh, remnant of people, we, uh, in the in the Jewish sense, uh, you have a str- This is the most religious government in history, and so they've been talking a lot about a lot of things. But here's the question: Is the national government, the religious government, very religious? If they decide to re-embrace j- Judaism, the sacrificial system, the temple. Would we as Christians think that is a great spiritual thing? Mm -hmm. We think, is that, wow, look at that. They're becoming, they're embracing Yahweh again. And we go, no, 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 you can't. See, that seeps in a little bit because they're thinking, well, Mondo, it can't be a positive. They're re embracing Moses. Well, if you re embrace Moses, you're repudiating Jesus. By definition, that's the whole argument of Hebrews. Jesus said over and over in Luke 10, if you reject me, you reject the father who sent me. If you don't honor the son, you don't honor the father. The Jews right now today, even the religious Jews, the ones that we interview, we talk to them. If we're just straightforward, they, even though they're praying and they have their, their, the old Testament out, they absolutely, they do not have a relationship with God. Period zero. That's the end. I mean, that sounds harsh, but Jesus Himself said it. You cannot come to the Father except through me.
0: So yeah, no, no doubt, Galatians, you know, makes a very clear argument that you know the law will not lead you to righteousness. Only faith in Christ will lead you to and Abraham, by the way, was pre-Jew, right? I mean, he he's yep. the for the patriarch, the father of the Jewish nation, but we it wasn't till his grandson Jacob that Israel became uh, a nation. So Everyone is saved the same way by grace through faith.
1: Yep. So if you come down and let's, so let's fast forward a little bit. Let's make sure we understand that, that just because they are re-embracing what we, the the Old Testament, that's not the fullness of the revelation. Jesus is, uh, Hebrews 1, again, it it just goes through it. So if you have a national embracing of some figure, some human figure, some Christ figure, some Messiah figure that is going to, provide them an opportunity to re-embrace and to build a temple and to have sacrifices, as Daniel 9.27 seems to very much indicate, confirm a covenant with many for seven years. Um, If they do this on a national scale, that is an official, once again, rejection of Jesus's finished work. It's a rejection of all that Moses taught about John 5. Jesus said, Moses wrote about me. It is an embracing of a human messianic figure so now we have a rejection again of Jesus and in a, a positive embracing. That is the definition of apostasy. It fulfills John 5, 43, them receiving him. And to me, looking at the uh, the Second Thessalonians 2 passage, one of the qu- ways I asked it was, hey, we have all these things happening. Doesn't that coincide with Daniel 9, 27, the confirmation of a covenant, which we know starts the tribulation, the seven year? It's interesting that Paul says something very similar. So we have two texts that are telling us the thing that starts, that happens first, we have the confirmation of a covenant, strengthening of a covenant, whatever. the, 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 the Aramaic is or the Hebrew there is very clear uh, as it relates to that. But we also have the apost- the apostasy happening first. So you have two things in complete conjunction, a, a confirmation of a covenant. By, and I think the same figure is involved in both of them. It's clearly in Daniel 9.27, but then Paul mentions him clearly right there in 2 Thessalonians 2.3, that an apostasy is connected with the man of sin being revealed. Now, interestingly, the people were asking, well, Mondo, is there anybody else that says this? And and I said, well, what you do have in the early church, and I have several quotes um, now in the early church, where they absolutely connected The apostasy with the man of sin. In fact, they personified it many times in saying the the apostasy is the man of sin. They 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 bring it 100% together. Mm. But of course, they weren't operating from a dispensational framework like we are in understanding the 70 weeks like we do. So even though they understood that many of them believed it was a Jewish apostasy as well, so that's not unprecedented. They didn't they didn't believe it was a church apostasy. They believed it was a Jewish apostasy. And even many commentators today uh, will say, yeah, this is clearly a Jewish context. They understand that there was a Jewish apostasy predicted in some of the Jewish Second Temple period writings, et cetera, et cetera. But the one thing that we're doing here that I'm doing for the first time, I guess, is I haven't found it yet, is the connection between the Jewish apostasy, which the early church believed, and Daniel 927, the confirmation of the covenant.
0: So would it be fair to say, you know, going back to Second Thess two, uh, you know, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day cannot come or will not be here, will not arrive. Is that a fair translation in your the, mind? The
1: best thing is will not be
0: present. Okay, so that day will not be present unless the falling away comes first. Would it be an overstatement or a fair to say that the falling away is referring to the signing of that? peace treaty that formal agreement between israel and the antichrist that that starts the clock ticking on the 70th week of daniel
1: i think that's exactly what he's referring to yep because yeah, yeah. and sometimes the uh even uh dr woods will say hey the the, the it's connected by Kai by and and it's connected by the protoss right first the the apostasy Comes first, and the man of sin, and he said, he even says, "Hey, this is this is talking about almost a. It could be a singular event as well, and so it's like you can't really. Is it a hendiadys where it's referring to, you know, both of them together by connecting? I actually think that it, it's, it's. If it's not, I don't know how else he would say it. That the first thing he's like, hey, Thessalonians, we're not in the tribulation, we're not in the day of the Lord, because why? It can't be here because we we know it's not present because there hasn't been this apostasy, and the man of sin isn't here,
0: so so that it's a formal thing which would lend which would you know be in keeping with the definite article there. Um, and also, you know, in the in the in the text, if you have the New King James or a good formal equivalent translation, that day will not come is not actually in the text. So that's why translations are all over the map. That day, you know, can't come. You can't be in it. It won't be here. It hasn't arrived. You know, those types of things. But the the idea here is... That day, that future day, and by the way, day of the Lord, depending on the context in scripture, uh, can refer to any direct time of God's you know, direct intervention in, in the in the affairs of mankind prophetically. But in this case, it's referring to that great day of the Lord's wrath that Zephaniah talks about, the the tribulation period, that seven-year period, the time of Jacob's trouble, the you know, the the 70th week of Daniel. So uh, that time can't come because it commences with this, right? It commences yes, with it this, commences, with this falling first. away. Yeah. First. Yeah. Proton. And uh, you talked about Hindiades there. That's a a, a Greek uh, or not necessarily Greek, but just a literary term that refers to two nouns sort of connected by and, but really referring to one thing. Right. Yep. So, so um, really fascinating stuff. I want to uh, just encourage folks to, th- this is what, the study of scripture is all about. I mean, this is where you you compare scripture with scripture. You dig deep. It, it's fascinating to me to make that connection with Daniel nine twenty seven, and and it really makes a lot of sense. And uh, one of the things I love about you, Mondo, um, is that you you are you're. you're An independent thinker that you really dig into the text, and you're not afraid to just really connect dots, which is what uh, you know theology is all about. So often people think of theology as a product. You know, here's my eight-volume, you know, systematic theology by Chafer. Here's my Ryrie Basic Theology. I've studied it all. Here's my conclusions. But theology is not a product; it's a process. And until we go to meet the Lord or He comes back to rescue the church at the rapture, we ought to be enmeshed in the Scripture, connecting the dots. Um, You mentioned, you know, the historical uh, outlook on this. Uh, You know, we we want to remind listeners that, uh, you know, church history is important, but it's by no means determinative in Bible doctrine. Um, And obviously, if you were to come up with some completely novel view about the fundamentals of, you know, the deity of Christ or the Trinity or something that is very well established in both Scripture and history, that ought to raise a red flag. But in terms of... You know uh, theological nuances and details related to end times prophecy. Uh, let's let the scripture speak and make the arguments from uh, from scripture. So, um, yeah. Any any closing thoughts before we we wrap this up? Really appreciate you taking the time to to outline uh, you know this Jewish rebellion. So basically, uh, I know I just asked you a question, but I'm going to press pause for a second <laughs> and keep the mic. Um, basically. Prophetically, we're suggesting that there is, you know, and the Bible clearly teaches there is a national end times rebellion when Israel is deceived by the Antichrist, signs the peace treaty starting that final seven-year period of the tribulation. But prophetically, of course, there's also a great acceptance seven years later at the return of Christ when the Jewish leaders at that time will repent change their mind, and accept the Messiah. So that's how you sort of can connect the both a national rebellion with a national acceptance, is they're separated by seven years, right?
1: Exactly. I mean, that's perfectly said. I think too often uh, when we, we see the Jews uh, becoming religious today and wanting a temple— and we're like, well, at least they're religious versus atheistic or secular, which has often been the case. I mean, Israel was founded as a secular country. But we have to say, hold on a minute, guys. From our perspective, we understand from the Jesus perspective, they re-embracing at a national level uh, to do sacrifice is an official repudiation of Jesus once again. Mm-hmm. And, of course, if you put the human figure, the, the, the Antichrist or their Christ figure right in the middle – there's a lot going on. It's an official repudiation. It's an apostasy against Yahweh and against his son and embracing a false son. And so we, we have to say it, just because a Jewish person reads their Bible today and talks about God and prays to the God of the Old Testament, it doesn't mean they're saved. All Anything apart from Jesus is a false system. Yeah. And an embracing of a false system is apostasy.
0: Yeah, Paul said in Romans 8.3, the law, What the law could not do because it was weak, God did by sending His Son. So, I mean, the, the, today, you know, and, and always, the only hope for individual salvation is faith in the God who can save you, not accepting a religion. And the, and the, the Old Testament, uh, you know, rituals and sacrifices and the system was always, as, as, the, as the writer of Hebrews says, a shadow of, pointing to the substance, which was Christ. So people didn't get to go to heaven simply because they brought, you know, two doves to the temple or something like that. They got saved because they personally placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Well, Mondo, thank you so much fascinating stuff. Uh, we'll definitely do it again. Uh, depending on your schedule, if you've got the time, we'll pick pick another topic and and uh, you know, do some iron sharpening. Uh, I want to mention since we were talking about apostasy, we've certainly talked about the, end times spiritual apostasy related to the church, as talked about in 1 Timothy 4, and then we've talked about the apostasy that Paul talks about here, which uh, it seems like he's referring to the Jewish rebellion in the end times. But I want to close by reminding folks that, you know, on an individual level, uh, you know, there is a, there is the danger of Christians, those who are going to be in heaven someday— falling away from the Lord. And Paul talks a lot about that. And uh, thankfully, our eternal destiny is not determined by how close we stay to the Lord throughout our Christian life. Salvation is a one-time moment in time when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. At that moment, Jesus says, uh, verily, verily, I say unto you, whoever believes in me has present tense eternal life. He says, I give you eternal life and you shall never perish If you're a Christian today, you'll be a Christian tomorrow, and that's always true. But sadly, many believers do, for whatever reason and whatever influences, drift further and further away from uh, the Lord. Paul reminds us in his final epistle, 2 Timothy 2.12, that even if we become faithless, if we sort of throw up our hands and say, forget it, I'm done with you, God, God remains faithful because he cannot uh, deny himself. But all of that presupposes that there's been a time in your life when you've trusted in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation. So I want to challenge those who may be listening to this. Maybe you have an interest in Bible prophecy. You're interested in all of the craziness that's going on to set the stage for the future events, the one world government, transhumanism, Klaus Schwab, you've all know Harari. But be sure you you know think about the reality of your own personal spiritual life. Has there been a time in your life when you've trusted in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation? And if not, it's a simple matter of childlike faith. You know, you don't have to walk an aisle, sign a card, do a dance, you know, make a contract. You don't have to promise to stop sinning or make all these uh, promises to God. It's not about what you give him. It's what he gives you. It's a free gift paid for by the blood of Christ. And I want to challenge you to trust him today. Mondo, thank you so much again for being with us. Uh, I know uh, you're a busy, busy man, but keep up the great work. And uh, we will uh, talk with you again soon. Thanks, JB. God bless everyone. Have a great rest of the day.